0: Let's go to Toronto, where Mark Breslin is standing by. He's the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, the largest comedy chain throughout North America, possibly the world. Welcome back, sir. Well, thanks. You know, I was on holiday for, what, two weeks, kind of almost three weeks. Yes, yes. And here's the the problem. You make me laugh very hard. I am getting over a really bad cold that... My listeners have no idea. They have no idea that I have a cold because you know me. I would never tell people that I I suffer in silence.
1: You're not one to share your indignities.
0: No, not at all. So you can't make me laugh. No. And before we started the first, there will be. There will
1: be a mucus free (laughs) zone. Okay. I I promise.
0: When I told Um, you I I was sick. The first thing you asked was?
1: I said, oh, tertiary syphilis? Because when I think of you, that's naturally what I think it would be.
0: Now, what part of the body is the tertiary? And can you get syphilis there? Um, I would imagine you could. Uh, Tertiary
1: syphilis, of course, you know, affects your whole body. It's your brain. Your brain starts to become what the French call vermoulu, which is a great word, which means worm-eating.
0: Uh, and they probably end up eating it as a, as a dish.
1: It's a it's a it's a delicacy in France. It's true, <laughs> and they mostly use it upon um, prisoners when prisoners die of syphilis in the jails. They extract the brains and they chop them up and they give them up to you know very very good chefs along the uh, the Champs Élysées, and uh, it's it's quite the delicacy, but it's, it's not on the menu. You have to ask for it. Right. And
0: that's not as cruel as foie right?
1: Nothing is as, fu- f- uh, as cruel as foie gras. Hey, here's an animal. Oh, good food. I love food. Thank you. Oh, more food. Okay. No, that's all right. I've I'm, I'm eaten already. Right. No, I, I can't eat anymore. <laughs> stop putting it down my throat. Thank you. Why are you kicking me in the belly? I, I can't eat while you're kicking me in the belly. Are you not listening? <laughs> That yeah, foie gras is a pretty bad thing, and they've outlawed it, you know, in a lot of places. um I don't know whether they've outlawed it in Toronto. I haven't seen it on many menus lately, and I would eat it. I have to say, it is delicious. Is it? Del- um, is I it the
0: delicious? It. Is that what? Is it? Is it the taste or the cruelty that you find so appetizing? Um,
1: well, cruelty is delicious, as any <laughs> you know Bond villain will know, but um it is really delicious and i like it prepared uh with like a a fruit compote <laughs> uh which i think is really important no i'm serious oh. i like it with a compote probably apricot apricot compote with uh foie gras is delicious and really makes you feel like you're completely and utterly immoral because you've taken this horrible horrible thing that was got uh, which was gotten in a terrible terrible way and combining it with something you might put on your kids toast I think it's, it's fantastic. I love the juxtaposition.
0: All right. Let's go back to tertiary syphilis.
1: Oh, please. Okay.
0: So syphilis, it, it, this is what always amazes me. Up until, what, the 20s, the 1920s, like 100, up until about 100 years ago, there was no cure for syphilis. There actually isn't a cure for syphilis. You don't really ever get rid of it, right?
1: I don't know. I thought... Penicillin knocked it out, but maybe it inhabits, you know, the lower part of your spine, dormant, like herpes does. I don't know. I really don't know that much about syphilis, to be honest. That's you're really something closer to your life. <laughs> <laughs> so I was kind of hoping you would fill in the gaps.
0: Well, I did fill in the gaps, and that's how I got the syphilis. So with this, <laughs> with the syphilis, up until about hundred years ago, every time a man and woman had sex. There was the distinct possibility that this this would be deadly. Yes, that this could end right. badly, which made sex so much better
1: because you need a kind of uh, you need a thrill, and uh, it was it was sex had a had a had a net. well, it's sort of like when AIDS came back, and a lot of when AIDS showed up, and a lot of um, yes. uh, gay people insisted upon going bareback because it somehow increased the thrill of it all it makes no sense no logical sense and yet that just shows you what a dark force sex is
0: le petite mort which i've been saying forever le, pe- le petite mort le petite mort that's what they used to call yes. me when I when I, I when I used, when i did yes. poli- political satire they say he's kind of like mort Saul, but he's more... M- yes la petite all right the little death that's very funny.
1: yes yeah, the little death <laughs> Or, Aquinas, or as Saint Thomas Aquinas once, or Saint Thomas Aquinas once said, "Post omnum uh, I uh, post um, uh, postcoitus omni anime triste,"
0: which is right. After- I don't know. I don't speak Latin. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> uh, it means after. <laughs> I told you not after to make orgasm.
1: That after orgasm, all men are sad.
0: After orgasm, but- all men are sad.
1: After orgasm, all men are sad, which I think is brilliant. Um, But I also want to point out, he was a Catholic priest.
0: (laughs) (laughs) He was, so he should have been sad.
1: Well, he should have been sad because um, the authority may have caught up to him. But um, nevertheless, I don't know which of the Catholic um, saints... Was was the one who started the great tradition of abusing boys? I don't know who it was, but somebody, and it might have been him. Hmm. You're going to get le- you're going to get letters from Catholics now. Wow, yeah.
0: But, yeah. I find after sex, instead of being sad, uh, I'm usually down fifty bucks. Yes, or seventy bucks uptown. <laughs> what?
1: Oh, you want a sandwich? I wonder. I wonder how that line would work with fifty dollars. If I knew how to say fifty dollars in Latin, that'd be pretty funny. <laughs> I just don't. So... Postcoitum, postcoitum omni anime fifty bucks. I don't know. Doesn't that doesn't scan well?
0: Did you study Latin in
1: in college? Oh yeah, but I was yeah. I was te- not in college. In high school, I was terrible at it, and um, I always thought it was it was a requirement. And I always thought it was useless, and not a day has passed in my life, in my adult life, where I did not need Latin, where I needed Latin.
0: What kind it's of Hebrew school system. did you go to? Were they... Well, you... I didn't
1: go to Hebrew. Well, I went to a Hebrew school after regular school. But in regular school, it was something you had to take. It was a mandatory. And then shortly after I left um, high school, which would have been 1970, they dropped the requirement. And I don't think they teach Latin in high schools anymore at all.
0: And it's a it's a dead language. It's spoken only in the Vatican. Is there conversational Latin? No, not to my
1: knowledge. No. it is a dead language only spoken in the Vatican and in the priesthood.
0: And how fluent are you in French? I
1: thought I had absolutely no fluency whatsoever, but then I went to Paris with my wife a while ago, uh, and I was shocked at how much I remembered, and I could get around. Uh, and make myself known. So um, I have a basic working knowledge of French. But what's sad about that is I went to a special bilingual college for the first two years where you took all your courses in French. I had language labs that I had to do. Uh, gee, I, I had to do like three hours a day a to to get my language skills up. And they were terrible labs. You know, Paul est un chien. Et toi? Uh, Paul est un chien. Et moi Paul Et toi? uh Paul ch- and it would just go on over and over and over and over again, and my marks plummeted because I'm not a great linguist, and I was taking all my courses, history courses, psychology courses in French, wow all because I thought I wanted to become a career diplomat in Canada, and you have to be fluent in both languages. It uh, didn't work out, so I transferred to a, another university, a different part of the university, um, which did not have that requirement, and I I did pretty well.
0: You're one of the smartest people I've ever met in my life. One of the most well-read. Well, did thanks, you ever David. consider? Did you ever consider being a professor? Being a teacher? Um, it was well. Most
1: of my friends in high school did. Get their PhDs and and are professors, um, so that was sort of in the ballpark. But and I was you know good at talking. I, if, being a professor has an element of performance to it, that's for sure. Yeah. Um, yes, but I didn't like the world of the uh, of the university. It was just too cloistered for me. It didn't have the action that I wanted. If 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 universities had a casino attached to it, <laughs> I think I would probably enjoy it more. And I would have had a better chance of wanting to do that. <laughs> but it's a pretty doer place, a pretty serious place. And remember, humor was always really important to me long before I thought, well, maybe I'd like to make some kind of a living at it.
0: Right. The University of Las Vegas should do this. You, you got to be. You got to be on this paper. Would you like? Now, to sp- would you like
1: to make it an A? Like, yeah. Go over to the machine. Let's yeah. Take a look. But you go in double or nothing because if it doesn't <laughs> come up,
0: it's a C plus.
1: What yeah, did your parents?
0: Funny idea. What did your parents want for you? What did they think? The usual, they were. Ra- I, what did they think they were raising?
1: They were raising a lawyer, um, who might go into politics, or they were raising a professor. They would have been very happy with that because my parents were not crazed for money. But they were crazed for respectability, and there was nothing more respectable than be able to say, "My son is a professor." Right. My son is a professor, unless they had to say, which would have been probably in my case, "My son is a professor of sexual, uh, <laughs> di- uh, sexual problems." Um, then, then I think it wouldn't have been quite as you know exciting for them. But I was good with my I was good with words. I was always public doing public speaking things and on debating teams. Law would have made the most sense some of my friends went into law. They didn't seem like very happy people. They didn't seem like they were enjoying it. I wanted to do something different, but I didn't know what it was. And then this opportunity sort of came to me. It was presented to me as an accident um, to be in show business and, and comedy. And I took it and I ran with it. But I didn't expect it to last that long. I honestly thought, Ugh, I'm going to have to go back to law school. I'm going to have to go and bite the bullet. But
0: nope. You say back to law school. Did you start law school?
1: No, 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 no. I, I didn't mean it. I have to go back to school and study law is what I meant.
0: And when did lightning strike in show business? When did you realize this? 19, was
1: your... uh, 1974. I had graduated with a degree in English literature, um, and that would prepare me to work for any taxi company in the world, <laughs> right? And uh, I had no idea what I was going to do. I did get accepted for graduate work at Stanford, in English, But I, I wasn't wow. thrilled about it. My parents did not want me to go to California, did not want, want me to go away. Um, there was trouble in the house. My sister was very sick, and it felt like I was abandoning the, the sinking ship. So um, I didn't really know what I was going to do. I didn't want to go to school. I at least wanted to take a year off. And strangely, I applied for a job at a place down on the lake in Toronto that was just opening up uh, that summer, uh, that had that uh, performance component. What it really was is that the government had spent a billion dollars acquiring this land, and they wanted to turn it into something. They weren't sure what, but they, before they spent any more money, they want the public on their side, so they started putting on shows in makeshift warehouses, and they needed people to um, hand out pamphlets to the people coming down to the site in the summer uh, that explained everything. So I was one of those people that was hired. There were 24 of us. And they put us in powder blue leisure suits. We looked ridiculous, but it was a lot of fun because frankly, most people were, most of the people who were doing this with me were high all the time. Mm -hmm. And, uh, they were a lot of really great, great kids that had just graduated like me. But on my resume, they put, I listed debating public speaking. Well, what happened was, um, halfway through the summer, they hired a show, which was a high diving show with a big tank outside, and they had no one to do the patter. So they came to me, and they said, here's a script. Could you think you can memorize this and do the patter? six shows a day, but that's all you'll have to do. You don't have to lock chairs. You don't have to give up pamphlets. I said, okay. So I memorized the script. The thing ran for almost a month. I can tell you by the end of the first week, I was bored out of my tree, and I started <clears throat>, improvising. Mm. So I was imp- I, I improvised some line. Uh, that was, the, our next diver um, is going to do the almost impossible triple gainer. He is also the only diver in the world to do this with a mole on his left thigh. <laughs> All right, not the greatest joke. Yeah,
0: but But different. as I
1: did that joke, right at that moment, the guy who ran the entertainment program, my boss's boss's boss, crossed the, um, the parking lot where it was happening, heard the joke, heard the laugh, and then summoned me to a a meeting the next day and said, "We want to get you off the um, like off the floor. We want to bring you into the office to start programming. You've obviously got a sense of humor. Wow. Um, and we're going to start doing some comedy. Would you like to run help run one of the comedy the comedy night we're doing?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And then at the end of that um, summer, they said, "Why don't you stay on because next year we're going to have have an even bigger complement of stuff to do?" And I said, "Yeah, sure." And now I had my base to work from. And then that year, I started an actual sort of, I changed the comedy night from sketch to stand-up, and I started meeting all these new stand-ups, and I was on the crest of something that was just about to explode. What? A year later, I was fired along with everybody else, and um,
0: I started Yuck Yucks. I was 23 years old. In 1975? Yes. So before 1975, you had yeah. you, you had Second City. In Toronto
1: yeah, but Not for that much longer. Uh, previously, I think Second City opened in '72, and then it went bankrupt because it was in a bad location. Then they reopened it, I think, in '74 in, in, in a good location, and it became a hit.
0: And that was still. But that from- didn't really.
1: Well, it didn't really speak to me or my friends. It was it was quality. It was high quality stuff, and especially in those days, you had some iconic people working there on stage. But it didn't. Um, it wasn't personal enough for us, and it didn't take the chances we wanted to ch- take because we were really into you know punk, and we'd grown up on kind of semi-radical politics. None of that showed up in. Um, in the Toronto company. I understand it did show up in the Chicago company, but it did not show up in the Toronto company. So it wasn't giving us what we wanted. In
0: 1975, the comedy tradition in Canada consisted of whom? Sketch comedy.
1: Sketch comedy was always the the dominant force. Uh, and it goes back as far as spring thaw. spring thaw. was a kind of touring show that came out of Stratford, you know, I don't. Do you know what Stratford is? Stratford is like um, Shakespeare festival? Shakespearean plays. Yeah, the Shakespeare <laughs> Festival. But some of the people who were there um, wanted to light lighten things up, so they started to do these shows, and it became a thing called Spring Thaw, which was a a big tradition in Canada for I don't know decades, and um, that led to all kinds of other um, sketch comedy shows, which led to Second City. Um, but when I came in. Um, and started doing stand up. It was considered completely radical. No one had ever seen anything like that before. And certainly not everybody liked it. Some people thought it was uh, full of egomaniacs because what person but an egomaniac walks on stage and goes, I think, and then yeah. expects to get a laugh out of that. And that's a very un Canadian tradition. Um, because Canadians like to, they're kind of, um, well, it takes a village, you know, and, yeah. uh, in Canada, and they don't like, Uh, they don't like any notion of anybody being too individualistic. It's not, it's not, not, that's not Canadian.
0: So we always, it was
1: very urban and, and, and most of the stuff, except for, um, except for Second City, most of the sketch comedy was kind of rural or small town based. And that was not what we were doing at all. Because the Canadians I knew didn't live on farms. They didn't, you know, they didn't speak like that. Eh. They didn't have that Canadian Ottawa Valley accent. They lived in apartments. Um, they shot. They went to foreign films. They um, ate ethnic food. It was it was a completely different kind of um, Canadian that I was I was appealing to, and that audience was out there, certainly so in Toronto to begin with. W-
0: we always say you know blacks are funny, Jews are funny, Italians are funny, the Irish are funny, and Canadians are funny. But that wasn't always the case. This is a, a recent phenomenon, late 70s? I don't
1: think, I don't think the Canadians that, uh, are funny. The average typical Canadians are funny in the way that the Irish, the average typical Irish person is funny. But the people who choose comedy as a living um, or as a, an art form here in Canada, I think they're, well, it's been proven that they're very funny.
0: But that's a recent phenomenon. You're saying this is from the 70s. Before yes. that, there was what there was no maybe a literary tradition of funny Canadians, but in terms of performative comedy, well, there
1: were well there were there were a lot of people who um, were funny um, and uh, created and worked on a lot of sitcoms behind the scenes uh, in the 50s and 60s in Hollywood. Um, I'll give you the names, but I don't think they will mean much. Um, but Lauren Green. It quite a, well, I wasn't thinking of him so much. As Mort Sahl. Like well, he's Canadian, but only barely. I mean, he left, like, Lachine, Quebec when he was three. Okay. So I, I, I don't know whether you can really use him as an example. But, no, if you take a look at some of these old sitcoms from the 50s and 60s, you'll see the names go by, and there's, there are a number of Canadians on them. Leslie um, Nielsen. Hart Palmer, Hart, Hart, well, I think of him being coming into his comedy career later, but I'm thinking of people, just people you haven't heard of. Um, people like uh, Hart Pomerantz's brother. Um, Lauren um, was Michaels, Lawrence,
0: uh, was that Lauren's Michael partner?
1: Yeah. But his, yes, but his brother created, I don't know how many sitcoms in Hollywood in the 60s and 70s, hmm. for instance. And there were lots of them, uh, but nobody nobody front of camera, um, that's for sure.
0: So when you started Yuck Yucks, were you surprised by the number of professional Canadian comics who came out of the woodwork to perform?
1: Well, they wouldn't have been professional if they came out of the woodwork because nobody would have known them. I, I had a base to work from because it was all the people I worked with at, uh, at Harborfront that, those two years. And, in fact, those were the people who were begging me to start something up. Um, they were really funny, but they weren't necessarily entrepreneurial. I was always the designated driver at the party. If you know what I mean, Mm -hmm. so um, uh, it didn't surprise me. We had a we then we had you know we added an amateur night. People started to show up. Most people were bad, but occasionally somebody was good, and we would encourage them. And and slowly, we built quite the scene.
0: Hmm. How long can these explosions last? Because there seems to be an explosion that that now is reminiscent. Of music where, oh, no, comedy, stand-up comedy is here to stay. Whereas when we were starting out, it felt like it was cyclical in nature. Now it's now it's permanent almost.
1: Well, the, the media demands content, and there's more media than ever. So as long as we keep, uh, you know, spitting out these new streaming services, there will be more reason to do stand-up comedy. But also, as I've said to, other, to
0: you know, Hello? Are you there? I'm going to have to call you back. Hello, hello? I'm going to call you back.
1: Yeah, David, I'm sorry. I don't know. That was a call coming in from Los Angeles. I have no idea who it was.
0: Oh, well, apparently the, this call was sick. Somebody's late.
1: listening, Somebody's listening, and they're not very happy with a, what I just said. Um, sorry, what, we, what were well, we you talk? were talking about? Well, you, you were over.
0: saying we're talking about the boom and bust nature of stand-up comedy and... As long as there are these new streaming companies, there will always be a need for content. But then you told some comedians. Oh, yeah.
1: Well, here's the thing. Um, there's, there's room for a fixed number of people who make a living in this, in this business, and then there's room for an infinite number of people who are really funny but don't make a, uh, um, a living in this business. We talk about the gig economy, and I think there's going to be an awful lot of comics. Out there, who will make ten thousand dollars a year, and then they'll make another ten thousand dollars a year at Starbucks, and then they'll make another ten thousand dollars a year by having some web business they do from home, and so on and so forth. And it'll become one of the four or five things that's an income stream, but it would not be enough to support them. I think that's the future for most comics. And is because it's the it's it's the um, the curve. Um, um, have I spoken about this before, the economist that had the curve? The and bell the curve? The curve is there's two lines. No, nope, no, nope. there's two lines. The first line is arithmetic and runs under the other line. And then the other line starts at the same place, but it's geometric. So what you have is you have a as – as time goes on, uh, time is on the x-axis, the amount of space between those two lines is greater and greater and greater. And that is the difference between food, the food, availability of food or work and population.
0: Oh, Malthus. So you're talking population. about Malthus. Yes, Malthus. Thank Yes. You. Jokes, so inc- he curf- said jo- jokes increase arithmetically while the number of comedians increase exponentially. That was-
1: Something like that. Yes. Which was pretty good for 1780. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, but, uh, yeah, so I think that's a perfect description of what's happening or what has happened with the, with the comedy scene. Yeah, it's vibrant. There's so many more people involved in it. There's open mics that don't pay every single night of the week. There's ten of them in every city. But that doesn't necessarily mean that's going to translate into, into dollars so that people can make a living doing this. And uh, that's crucial. Okay, You've got to and- be able to make a living doing it.
0: I remember in, I don't know, the late 80s, early 90s, there was a glut of stand-up comedy on television, and it got to the point where Americans, at least, said, this is rep- repetitive. They're all the same. There's no difference. They're all telling the same jokes. And they say that TV kind of popped the that bubble and the clubs emptied out. This time around... Um. Yeah, yeah, but this no, time around the time. comics are not derivative, right? They're they're unique. No, they're much
1: more. They're much more personal. I'm not sure that they're funnier, but they are much more personal, and it's much more difficult to um, confuse one comic with another. They're not just all doing airline food jokes. They're doing jokes about how their families abused them. That's much more exciting.
0: It, and but, it is interesting. The way the economics of it work, where yes. the, the, that stand-up will last longer, because the each comedian is different. They're not. Yeah. They're not. They're uh-huh. not coming into a room and saying, "All right, how do I learn this? What works?" Instead, they're well. Here's
1: well. Here's something else in that. um, you're also describing why they're um, confining themselves to a much smaller audience because it's so personal, because it's so unique, because it's so idiosyncratic. The day of Jerry Se- the days of Jerry Seinfeld becoming a billionaire out of all of this is over. Because well, he, be- is he became no a billionaire
0: there. from sitcoms, not stand-up.
1: His, that show was basically stand-up as a, as a sitcom. I think, but um, uh, I think those days are over of somebody having that kind of um, mass, broad, market appeal. I can't think of many who do now. Uh, Jim Caffigan may be one of them. Um, But basically, everybody has has a following, and there are very few comics who have a following that's everybody. Mm -hmm. There's not a lot of unanimity. As brilliant as Dave Chappelle is, I know lots of people who don't find him funny whatsoever.
0: But they're wrong. I mean, you can prove. Why, of course they're wrong. You can prove of why he's wrong, funny. But,
1: of course they're wrong. But I am talking also about just the econ- economics of taste. And now that taste has um, shattered and splintered into a million pieces, um, you can't necessarily say that just because somebody's really funny that they're going to become a mega star. It isn't about being a mega star anymore. It's about having enough people in every city that you go to that you could fill a, um, a comedy club, Kinda and of like walk music. away with
0: kind of like music. Yeah,
1: yeah, uh, and, and walk away with better money than say you made um, when you were playing comedy clubs in the um, in the eighties or the nineties.
0: Right, Humbert College
1: because because yes,
0: yes. Well, finish your thought that I want to ask you about Humbert College, where you can actually no, get no. T-
1: uh, no, no, it's, it's okay. I, 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 it wasn't an important thing.
0: So taste and standards, when you get older, you begin to believe that the, those have eroded, that there's no more taste, there's no more standards, until you talk to comics in their 20s and their 30s, and they have taste and standards. If you're teaching comedy at Humbert, you can get a degree in stand-up comedy or just comedy?
1: You get the degree in, in comedy in general, and to get the degree, you have to pr- pass all your courses. Your courses include stand-up, sketch, improv, history of comedy, business of comedy, um, um, comedy on the Internet. You have to become proficient at all of them to get the, to get the degree.
0: So Elton John attended the Royal Academy of Music, went on to <laughs> become a rock star. But he he knows musical theory. He knows chords. And the notes that can be pulled out of a chord—is there comedy theory that you can teach? Because in in, you know in musical theory, musical theory is mathematical. There are universal laws. It's physics when it comes to musical theory.
1: Sure, um, but um, you can teach some kind of comedy. Comedy is a more uh, you know intuitive form in a lot of ways than music might be, and can't be broken down in the ways that music can be. But there are things you certainly can teach. Well, the first thing that students learn um, and the first big sort of advantage of going to that school is that they learn confidence. And you know confidence is absolutely critical in the presentation of anything you do in comedy. And they will learn that confidence because it's a confidence-building school. Okay, so that's one thing. The second thing is it will expose you to different kinds of comedy that you thought you knew about but you really didn't know about. And we have lots of people who come in and they say, I'm here primarily for the stand-up, and they walk away two years later, and they're writing scripts because they've decided that's really where their talent mm-hmm. uh, belongs, and vice versa. So that's a big, big help. The third thing is that it's a networking salon. Um, we bring in all kinds of speakers, um, and also the students that you're performing with, any of them could wind up becoming somebody with some you know, production clout five, ten years later. So that's important, too. Um, it exposes you to people in the industry. We have deals with Yuck Yucks and um, Comedy Bar to do sketch, um, Yuck Yucks to do stand-up, and they do it in real time for real audiences once a week, and that really helps. Um, you meet people that you might want to um, form a strategic alliances with down the road, but then there are things that you can teach people about comedy. Strat- uh, strategies like um, inversion and exaggeration and um uh, personification and all, all these different all these different things that can be taught. Okay. Um, so there's a value to it, but you can't say just because you took this course you're going to wind up becoming a stand-up comic. The same way you can't say well just because you took a, uh, an acting um, you know, you went to acting school means you're going to become a professional actor. Right. You
0: could take it just helps. Yeah, you could take an actor who has never done stand-up comedy give her or him five minutes of good material, put them on the tonight show and they would kill. Take that same. Maybe, maybe not. Well, but take that same actor with the same material and put them in a nightclub completely different scenario. Yeah. Yeah. I think so too. Yeah. Um, I, I always have, a, I
1: always sort of know when actors are trying to stretch themselves by becoming, doing stand-up comedy, and mm-hmm. it's as fake as fake can get. The audience might not know, but I know.
0: Are you talking about Jeremy and Piven's toupee, or are you talking about his act?
1: Well, I'm talking about both, actually. I'm talking about his Merkin, uh, <laughs> his more mer- than his toupee. <laughs> okay. You know? Yeah.
0: Before you he go... He
1: his Merkin. He parts his merkin on the side, which I think is a mistake.
0: <laughs> I like a merkin right down the middle.
1: Yeah, I think that it's better just um, without any anything like it.
0: Right? Who who do they sell merkins? Is there a need? I mean, are there people who are ashamed that they're bald there down there? Be
1: when well, there used to be for cancer patients. Oh, um, there was a merkin. There was a, a a market, the Merkin market, well, the, um, the Merkin that. market yes, but, uh, that's right, the Merkin market, yeah. and uh, I was actually lost a lot of money in the futures uh, of the uh, Merkin market. Um, you took a haircut, it, I
0: believe, is the term. That...
1: Yeah, I well, I didn't, I didn't see the the bald porn thing <laughs> coming, and frankly, that ruined the whole whole, whole game. Um, but uh, after, now that now that um, actually porn has changed the way people see their um, their, gen- their genitalia. The Merkin market has fallen apart because yes. it's not considered as important anymore to have hair down there.
0: Uh huh. Ask-
1: it's not considered as important to have hair up there either. I mean, you've never seen so many bald men in your life. Proud bald bald men. This was not the way it was in the fifties uh, no. when I was growing up, or in the sixties. No. no. This is a. I mean, this- just the fact that there was a, a, a musical called Hair. Now we'd have to do the musical called Bald. Shaved. Give me a head that's bald. <laughs> it's just not the same.
0: Uh, this, is, this is true. I, I, I want expert opinion. Okay? So both? Yeah. Okay. So I was out to dinner with
1: uh-huh. some
0: of my children, and I came up with a joke, and they all said this isn't funny. They, didn't, they laughed when I said it. This is, the, this is the virtue of having kids in their 20s, and their friends are in their 20s, so you can just say anything. Okay. So I said, you know, I'm having sex again, and so I want an expert opinion. I'm having sex again, and women these days, I mean, they shave everything down there. This last girl I was with didn't even have a penis that's funny. It is funny. Yeah, it's funny.
1: It's a riff on, it, it's a bit of a riff on, I went out with this girl in New Orleans, and I'm telling you, her skirt was so short you could see her dick. <laughs> Which is how I remember, that, that's a version of the, yeah. the joke. I can't remember who told that. But it, it, yeah, it's, yeah, it's funny.
0: So all these 20-somethings, funny. The, the 20-somethings at the dinner table, and I was paying for the meal, they laughed when I said it, and I said, well, that would work as a joke. And they all said, no, it's not funny. And I said, it's mathematically correct that that women, that women are shaving. There or may
1: be, this may be a, an issue of uh, you. they may think that that joke makes fun of gender fluidity, which is one of the things that the um, millennials are very, feel uh, uh, very sacred about. Very yeah. sacred. Right, unless you don't make you... fun of gender fluidity. Right, you're not you're not putting anybody you're not putting anybody down. It's just as you say a mathematically correct joke.
0: Right, and I, I'm not just...
1: saying you're not saying women were, women. You know, you're not saying yeah, people without a dick. There's something wrong with them. We should put them away. Um, they're ugly. You haven't said anything like that. It's just a mathematically correct joke. And I'm also s- the emo could do
0: right. And I'm also saying that I'm an idiot that I have sex with men with penises and I didn't, uh, women with penises. I didn't know that, it's, it's at my expense that I'm, a, that I'm an idiot. It's-
1: yeah, of course, uh, of course. But you, you, crossed in, you crossed into territory, which is ideological now uh, for millennials, and I think that makes them uncomfortable.
0: Before I you go. It's a joke anyway. Before you go, is it changing? Is there a backlash now to... You mentioned Dave Chappelle. You know, I, at first... Well, I still disagree with his stuff. About, he's the best. He is the best stand-up comic. Maybe, you know, he's up there with Carlin. I mean, he's just that, you know. Okay. But no. I didn't appreciate his uh, transgender material. I thought it was reckless and kind of dangerous. But he's, you know, and I noticed that Eddie Murphy didn't apologize. He just gave an interview, I think it was on 60 Minutes, or maybe it was Sunday morning, where they asked him about his stand-up from the 80s where he made fun of gay people. And he said it's cringeworthy, but he isn't going to apologize for it. Is it changing? Well,
1: we're all- yeah, it's changing, and we're all only, you know, people of our times. And I did lots of material way back when that I wouldn't do now, um, because people see it in a different context. But it doesn't mean I was wrong at the time.
0: And yet, careers are being destroyed because people are holding you to standards that may or may not have existed back then. Did you right. see? Say- and, and I, yeah, I think people should should note that though in their defense. Yeah, like Pete Buttigieg said, our founding fathers didn't know slavery was wrong. That's right. Who they knew? Didn't. Who knew? Ricky Who Gervais, knew? D- before you go, did you see Ricky Gervais' Golden Globes?
1: I I saw most of it, yeah.
0: I thought he was fantastic. I, I, I yeah. have no dog in the fight. I know a lot of people don't no. like him. I thought that's... No,
1: he, he's, he, he does. All he's doing is... Bob Hope on steroids. Um if you go back and you take a look at some of the Oscars um hosting by Bob Hope there's some pretty sharp edged um stuff in 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 the monologue but it's sharp edged for the times. Now this is what sharp edged is for our times. Yeah. And I I don't think there's anything wrong with anything he did. Um people laughed it was they were funny jokes in the story otherwise Otherwise, this stuff is a bit of a bore. If you can't take the piss out of it, what's the point? Yeah, yeah. He's because ch- right away, you're, right away these, these these award shows, which are ridiculously glitzy and ridiculously over-the-top, it needs a corrective. And if that corrective is Ricky Gervais saying, excuse me, but this industry is, is kind of ridiculous to begin with, um, I think there's nothing wrong with that.
0: Yeah, and when Tim Cook, the CEO of Apple, is sitting there and he says... Apple runs sweatshops and you people would call your agent to audition for ISIS. If they were streaming videos, I thought that was powerful. The only criticism I, the only criticism. Great joke. That's that's I know. I, I know. That's exactly what an MC should say. I think he's the only one who ever said something like that. If I had one criticism, he was telegraphing the brutality of the jokes. He would say, "Shut up, you know. I, I, you know, I'm going to make." F-. He, I would just, you know, I would just tell the mean jokes and let the chips. He fall He may where have they had may. to
1: do that in the way that that um, Don Rickles used to, yeah. you know, do six horrible ethnic jokes and then start singing, "But I'm a nice guy." Right. Right it uh, it's the same way of undercutting what you've done so that you can keep going. Yeah. I, I think that's
0: what yeah, he was doing. Yeah. Mark Breslin is the founder and president of Yuck Yucks, and he's back from vacation. And I want to hear about what books you read. Hopefully, you'll be back next week. I love you. This was so great. Can you stand on the line for okay. one second? Next week will be good. Good. Stand on line for one quick second. Thank you.
1: Okay.